0: So it's good to be in the house of the Lord tonight. It would be difficult to find another place that would be better to be snowed in at for a few hours to worship the Lord. And I have every confidence that you robust Canadians, when it's time to get out of here, you will know how to get out of here. <laughs> Hallelujah. And the way... Um, Today I understood the scripture about Jehu who drove his chariot furiously. I understood it better as I went to Grand Falls with your pastor. (laughs) I always wondered what it was like to run in the Indy 500 race with those cars sliding around. Hallelujah. Amen. We almost got a ticket. We didn't have our seat belts on because the pastor had got out, got back in and then we were on our way to a very spiritual meeting at Tim Hortons. (laughs) And the policeman saw us and uh, Brother Pollard and Brother Goodine was in the back seat and they said, he is coming, he is coming and they weren't talking about the rapture (laughs) and so in his inimitable Mario Andretti fashion pastor wheeled the Chrysler into the Horton parking lot and he said get out quick get out quick and we ran into Brother Horton's (laughs) hallelujah And ate four donuts. (laughs) Amen. (laughs) But the Lord is good. I got so excited I bought a chair. They don't have these. At least, I, I, I don't ever remember seeing one of these gliding rocking chairs in California. In a furniture store or in anybody's house I can ever remember being in. One of these, like, I guess a lot of people here have them. And uh, I set in one over at Brother McKillop's and he said it was about five years old. And I thought if it's in that good a condition after he and I have sat in them and Tim Copeland and other small men for five years, these have got to be good chairs. So I bought one for my wife for um, February the 14th, That for you heathens, it's Valentine's Day. Uh, But we take advantage of any chance to tell our wives we love them, I hope. And um, so now we have to figure out how to get it out of the country. By the time I get out of here with the police chasing us over uh, seat belts and contraband, uh, I don't don't know how we're going to get that chair out of here. But we're going to get it out. It's in a big box. Pray for us over in the pastor's garage. And we got to get it through customs, and they got to talking today about well, you got to, you got to pay PST and SOX and ABC and by the time and they got to talking 41 percent, 36 percent, 48 percent. By the time they got through, I was so confused. I just said, just do whatever. Just tell me what to do, I'll just do it. And so we're going to take that Canadian chair home to remember uh, y'all by if we get that far. And I want to tell you. You sinners, another thing here tonight, we announce service tomorrow, but we may not be having service uh, tomorrow, so you need to keep that in mind, because, uh, well, it's quiet in here all of a sudden, Uh, because the rapture may take place. Now, for all of you that believe that you're going through the tribulation before the rapture, um, if you make it through, we'll see you on the other side of the seven-year period. Hallelujah. I just happen to know there's a scripture in Thessalonians that says that talking about the church that we haven't been appointed to wrath, and Revelation chapter six says, Behold, the wrath of God has come. Hallelujah. So um said, Well, I believe we're going through. Well, my answer is, as your faith is, so be it unto you. I believe we're going up. Hallelujah. Can you say, Praise the Lord? Hallelujah. Thank God for the promise. Amen. If you have your Bibles, why don't you open them with me tonight? I told Brother McKillop when he so smoothly told me in the office, he said, Brother Wilson, he said, we're going to have the choir sing a song and then we're going to turn it right to you because he said some of the people will probably be a little nervous about the snow. And I, I that is tongues that's a gift of tongues the interpretation of that is you preached a long time and I want to get out of here before midnight and uh, so I explained to him I said I preached my long one last night uh, so I think he felt better about that in the book of Judges chapter 2 God only knows what's liable to happen when his people get together and believe him book of Judges chapter 2 bible in verse number 7 judges judges 2 and 7 genesis exodus leviticus numbers deuteronomy joshua judges it's the 7th book of the old testament page 371 in my bible judges chapter 2 verse 7 and the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders that outlived Joshua who had seen all the great works of the Lord that he did for Israel. And Joshua the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died, being a hundred and ten years old. And they buried him in the border of his inheritance in timnath in the Mount of Ephraim on the north side of the hill Gash. And also all that generation were gathered unto their fathers, <clears throat> and there arose another generation after them, which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and served Balaam. And they forsook the Lord God of their fathers, which brought them out of the land of Egypt, followed other gods of the gods of the people that were round about them, and bowed themselves unto them, and provoked the Lord to anger. And they forsook the Lord, and served Baal and Ashtoreth. And then the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel in verse 14. And then they cried to the Lord for help. And then if you look in verse 18. And when the Lord raised them up judges, then the Lord was with the judge and delivered them out of the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. For it repented the Lord because of their groanings by reason of them that oppressed them and vexed them. But, and it came to pass when the judge was dead, that they returned and corrupted themselves more than their fathers. And following other gods to serve them to bow down to them they cease not from their own doings nor from their stubborn ways i want to preach to you for a little while tonight from the book of judges would you pray with me that god would touch us especially in the next few minutes god we thank you for the word of god and the power and spirit of the lord that's here in this place tonight the holy ghost the dear god move into our hearts and lives and souls touch us in a special way tonight in jesus name lord Amen. And everybody said amen. Amen. Praise God. You may be seated. In the passage of scripture I read to you tonight, you see a cyclical pattern in which after Joshua died, the people would serve God for a little while and then they would depart from the ways of the Lord and they would go about their own ways and they would begin a long circuitous path away from God and of course as is true in any individual life so it's true in the life of a nation that the longer a people walk away from God the more that they go into bondage It is a given that the farther you get from God, the deeper your bondage. And the closer you get to God, the greater your freedom. And so these people, when they departed from God, would head towards a tremendous bondage. Are you thankful for the liberty of the Holy Ghost tonight? And and as they went on their way, the bondage finally became so bad that they would turn and they would say, God... Would you help us? We need help. They would repent of their ways. They would turn towards the Lord. And God would send them what the Bible calls judges to come into the land. Most of them were men with military prowess who would come into the land and lead the people to independence again. And the people, he would lead them and they would turn their hearts towards God and God would give them great victories. And as long as that judge lived there would, be, there would be freedom, there would be liberty, there would be the presence of the Lord in the nation, and they would enjoy peace from their enemies. And then when that judge died, the people again would vary from the path of the Lord and the whole cycle would start over again. And so the nation went through these cycles, and as each cycle spun around, it's like I don't know if you've ever been in a place where they've got these great big funnels that come down to about this big and, and at the top you take a penny and you start it rolling and it rolls almost straight around but slowly but surely you can see it make its way down towards the vortex of that, of that um, as though there's a suction in the middle of it of gravity pulling it down. And so it was with the nation of Israel in the days of the judges. They would do right. They would be delivered their judge would, the deliverer would die. They would go back into bondage. The circle would go around. The bondage would get so bad they couldn't stand it. And when it got so bad they couldn't stand it, they would come back around the other way and they would come back seeking God again and God would touch them and bless them. They would come back to freedom again at 12 o'clock and then down and around the clock they would go over and over until the nation was virtually dizzy with this kind of circular movement. Away from God and back to God. There were a lot of Judges. If you've never read the book of Judges closely, you ought to read it. Some of the most interesting stories, uh, not only in the Bible but anywhere, are found in the book of Judges. These men were unique men. I don't have time nor inclination tonight to go through every judge and tell you all of their stories and histories, but when you look through the Bible, they were, they were good stories. Uh, the first one was Othniel. Othniel was a nephew of of um, Caleb, and um, while others forgot God in the next generation, in the scripture we read, apparently there were some that did not forget God, because this boy Othniel became a leader in the people of God. Colorful people. The judges are some of the most colorful leaders in the entire Bible. Second one was Ehud, and and on down the list we go. Ehud. Um, is a, I mean, you could preach the story of Ehud and preach a whole sermon off of it. Ehud was a left-handed man, and um, he was sent. Uh, they were in deep oppression, and he was sent by the people of Israel to go uh, to the king to take him a present, this alien king that was over them, to take him a present and see if they could not uh, buy some freedom from the oppression that this king had. And so he took a group of men with him, and he took the present, and he made his way to where the, the king was. The king's name was Eglon, and the Bible says Eglon was a very fat man, and um, this big, big fat king was sitting on his throne when uh, Ehud got there. Ehud went in with his men and took the present and gave it to him, and and. Um, uh, and the king was happy. Everybody likes to get presents. Uh, and he gave him the present, but when Ehud gave him the present, he leaned up close to him, and he said, Oh, king, I have a special message for you that I don't want everybody to hear. And the king was, it stirred his curiosity up, and he said, All right, uh, uh, send everybody out. Everybody go away. And uh, there was nobody there except the king and his servants. Uh, and uh, Ehud says, I don't want the servants to hear this. This is a private message. Uh, and the king says, All right, and so all the servants leave. And he sent all of the servants out. And Ehud comes close to him. And he says, okay, Eglon, uh, Eglon says, okay, Ehud, what is the message? Uh, and Ehud says, I've got to get close to you to give it to you, king. And he gets up close to him. And he says, I've got it right here under my robe. Let me get it. And the Bible says that he had made him uh, this dagger of a cubit's length, which is about 18 inches. Uh, and he gets up close and he says, it's right here, O oh king. And Eglon, the fat man, stands up uh, and he pulls out his dagger and he says it's a special christmas present for you merry christmas i don't know about the merry christmas part but and he jabs the dagger up into his stomach and the man was so big that the dagger the bible says half and all went up into his stomach up into his body and Ehud couldn't get the knife out of the big man's body. And so he pulls his hand back and leaves the knife in there. The Bible says dirt came out. The guy had been eating dirt. And and, 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 and and he falls over on the floor. And Ehud turns and runs across the country. Good story, huh? And runs across the country and gets the people and says, I've slain the fat king. Come on, let's go. And they rise up and they have victory. And so it goes. So the next one was Shamgar. I don't, know, I don't know how they did some of this stuff. The Bible says Shamgar was was a man that took an ox goad, which just would have to be a long stick, uh, and 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 with an ox goad he slew six hundred of the enemy at one time by himself. How you, it looks to me like if there's six hundred guys the size of me and your pastor, we wouldn't even need sticks to. We'd just run at him. That some of us would trample him before he could get away. But I don't know how the guy did it. To, but some way he kept them from cornering him. And he took 600 of the enemy by himself and slew them. And there was a great victory. On and on the story goes. Uh, there, was, uh, some, there was Barak and Gideon and Tola and Jair. There was, um, there was Barak uh, who was one of the judges. And in the middle of all of this there was Deborah. It's the only woman in the deal. I got on this last night too, didn't I? Here we are again what do you think about woman preachers well that went over like a flock of dogs but anyway whatever i don't know if deborah was a judge but i know one thing barrick was a judge and barrick wouldn't go to war unless deborah went with him he stopped and and deborah says barrick you've got to go fight for the freedom of the people And Barak looks back and says, Deborah, I'm not going unless you go with me. And so Deborah says, all right, get up, let's go. That's like some of you men going to work in the morning. All right. And so they get up and they go to war. And there is a great victory that takes place. Uh, And uh, Gideon and Tola and Jair and, and Jephthah, the man with the foolish vow, and Ibson and Elon and Abdon and Samson, better known as Samson, when you get down to Samson, Samson's story is down about chapter 15 and chapter 16. Well, chapter 14 perhaps. Maybe a little 13. Along in there is the last... Samson is the last judge. And, 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 and when you get down to Samson, you go all the way to the, to chapter 16. And, and, and the story of Samson, the stories of Samson, we won't even take time tonight to reiterate. And, and Gideon, uh, we, we just skipped over Gideon. Uh, Gideon, the guy that... That, that with 300 men took on an army of perhaps a uh, 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 hundred and something thousand. Uh, and, and, and here's the army in a valley. And Gideon tells his men, surround this valley in the night. Get up on the hills. Yes, you going to help me, bro? Come on. Oh, all right. And, and he gets up. Do you play the trumpet? Get your trumpet. bring it up here that's not a trumpet is it is that what a trumpet is in Canada well I am mixed up bring the trumpet bring the Trump the trumpet El trumpeto. yeah is that a trumpet all right are you a trumpet player good man stand right here by me all right this is one of Gideon's men what's your name Samuel I should have used him earlier his name's Samuel and so here's Gideon. He tells all of his men. He says, all right, 300 men, surround the valley in the night and put your trumpet in one hand and put in your other hand a vase and in the vase put a lamp or a candle and, and, and cover it so the light cannot come out where there's just enough air to keep it burning in there and stand around the camp. And when I tell you, you yell, you yell, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon and you break the vessel and you let the light shine and you blow the trumpet. Got it. Good man. And so that'll preach. If I was preaching about that tonight, we would talk about that that we all have the light inside of us, uh, but it has to be a broken vessel for the light to get out. And who shall go to war if you don't hear a certain sound? Uh, He said the trumpeteer has to sound a certain sound or the people don't know what to do. And I'll talk about preachers that fool around and are afraid to confront sin and are afraid to preach Acts 2.38 and are afraid to stand up for the Lord and are afraid to preach separation from the world. Did I go in too quick for you? And are afraid because they won't blow the trumpet. And so the people don't know what to do. They don't know whether to come or whether to go. They don't know whether to start or whether to stop. And so all through the book of Judges, you find all of these stories. And like I said, Samson is the last story. And it's a good story. And it ends in chapter 16 of the book of Judges. That's the story of Samson. And it talks about his famous ending, as you know. And he goes out in a blaze of glory, of bringing down the enemy. And that's the end of the Judges. Well, looks like we're going to get out before the snow. I preached the whole, every judge there was in 10 minutes. We got all the way down through the whole thing. We went through every judge just then. That's it. That's all, folks. Ain't no more judges. That's it. The problem is, and there is a problem, is that the judges end in 16, but the book ends in 21, So I got to thinking, what happened in the rest of the book? Well, now I can't preach the whole book. But let me at least take chapter 17. Is that all right? You're snowed in anyway. In chapter 17. Chapter 17 talks about, And there was a certain man, from Mount Ephraim whose name was Micah. But the way it starts out is very strange. The next verse says, verse 2 of 17, And he said unto his mother, Now how's that for a way to open a story? And this is what he said to his mother. The eleven hundred shekels of silver that were taken from thee about which thou cursest and spakest of also in mine ears. Behold, the silver is with me. I took it. So here's the story, and here's how it opens. The Bible says there's a man named Micah. He was not a judge. And this man named Micah is talking to his mama. And his mama has been cussing. A blue streak. And she's been on this tear, apparently, for days. Until she's driving him crazy. Now, when we read on down, we're going to find out he was a grown man. I don't know what he was doing living with Mama. You can tell he's already got some situations here. That beg answering. And here's this grown man in Mama's house. And it doesn't say anything about Daddy. Uh, A lot of things run through my mind right then. And here is this Mama's boy in mama's house strange mama she's cussing for days by the way let me tell you that these are the people of god they were from mount ephraim which was god's people and she's cussing about the money and finally gets sick of hearing her cussing and he says what's the deal she said i am cussing because somebody stole my money and after days he says mama I stole it. I took your money, Mama. This is how chapter 17 opens. And when she finds out, if my Mama would have found out I'd been stealing her money, the results could have been very predictable. But this Mama, when she found out that her son was stealing her money, she said, Oh, blessed be thou of the Lord, my son. My mama would have said, I'm going to show you how God blesses little thieves, you little brat. But this mama says, oh, blessed be thou of the Lord, my son. Maybe that tells you why he was still at home with mama. And then she goes on to say "The 200 shekels of silver or the 1,100 shekels of silver. Thank you that I got it back because I was going to take 200 of those shekels and I was going to make you a little god out of silver. These are the people of God. And And she did. If you read it, she made a bunch of stuff, idols. And she gave them to him and he built him a little house and he put these idols in them. This is all in chapter 17. And he dedicated them to the Lord. And when you read the Lord there, it means Jehovah, the Lord God of the Old Testament. They dedicated the cousin mama, the thieving son, the idolatrous family, dedicates the idols to the living God, the true God, Jehovah. Now immediately you say, this looks messy. So, still in chapter 17, it picks up another boy, just another boy, that comes through the land. He's, a, he's of the tribe of Levi. He's a Levite. And Micah sees him. And Micah says, Where are you going, my son? And he says, Oh, I'm going through the land looking for a job. How does it say it? I go to sojourn where I may find a place. I'm looking for Employment. And Micah says, you're a Levite. Yeah. yeah. You'd make a good priest. And the, he says, if you'll be my priest, you will be unto me as a father and as a priest. And I'll give you ten shekels of silver and a, clothes of raiment, a change of raiment, enough clothes for a year. And that's your salary. Would you like to be my hired priest? And the boy says, Yeah, better than starving. And so he gets him, Micah gets him, a little hired preacher to preach to him. And he says, you will be unto me, Micah says to the young preacher, you'll be unto me as a father and a priest. But if you read the next verse, after he hired him, it says, and the priest was unto him as one of his sons, because... Hired preachers never have the authority. They're hirelings, and they'll preach whatever you want them to preach for a dime a sermon. As long as you make the check out so they can cash it, They'll preach whatever you want to hear. And there may be some of you here tonight that go to the nominal churches where you tell the preacher what to preach, you tell him what to do, you tell him what his schedule's going to be, you tell him when you like what he preaches, you tell him when you don't like what he preaches. Uh, the chances of you being saved in such a church are really Uh, remote. Because that preacher is not going to come down the line and tell you when your ears are dirty. He's not going to really preach to you because he's only there for the check that you're going to give him and you're not going to hear the word of God. You have to have a preacher that will preach the word of God with love but without fear or favor and where the bible cuts it cuts and where the bible puts oil it puts oil but where god says to speak he speaks and where god says to be silent he is silent and there's nothing more important than the ministry that preaches the truth of the word of god i was uh, doing a wedding in a in a church it wasn't one of our churches and we were on the platform and we was getting ready for the wedding. And there was a little bench about this long. The bride and groom, they were there for the wedding rehearsal. And we wanted to move this bench. And, and uh, so they said, Brother Wilson, we need to move that bench. I said, well, move it. Pick it up. It's just a bench and move it over there on the side. And they picked it up and started to move it. And out of the back came a man running down the house. Whoa, 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 wait, whoa, wait, whoa, whoa. You would have thought that we were getting ready to shoot somebody with a 12-gauge shotgun. And he come running to the front on the platform, whoa, hey, who? you can't move that bench. And I said, okay, it's just a little bench. He said, well, he said, I'm the pastor. And he had on these, I'm not making fun, but I almost am. (laughs) And he had on these foam-soled shoes like janitors wear which I found out he was the church janitor as well as the pastor. And they hired him and they gave him a few bucks a week to do this. Hey, look, if I was going to be a janitor, I wouldn't be a janitor and a pastor. I'd just go be a good janitor. But if a pastor really knows what he's doing, it's really not good business to use a $50 an hour man to do a $5 an hour job. And I think God's a good steward and He gives all of us our gifts. And we ought to know what our gifts are. And if you got somebody able to lead the church, you ought, to, you ought to thank God for it and say, if we got a real leader, we're going to be real followers uh, and we're going to have a church that's full of the Holy Ghost. But he told me, he said, I can't move that bench unless I have board approval. And I said, oh, brother. You start out as the father, but you end up as the son. And that's the end of chapter 17. So... I can't preach the whole book, but that's a pretty good chapter, wasn't it? Did you enjoy that? The Bible's good. So that's it. Well, maybe we can finish tomorrow. God bless you. Well, we can't do the whole book. Maybe. Maybe we can do 18. Shall we do 18? Alright, that's the deal. All right. We'll do eighteen. Well, it takes a long time to get 21, but we'll do eighteen. Okay, here's chapter 18, book of Judges. Get your Bible. See if I'm telling the truth. So, the tribe of Dan was running out of room. And they needed room to expand. And if you read closely, you'll find that they're being pushed by the Amorites into the mountain areas and needed help. So the tribe of Dan said, let's send out a scouting troop to see if we can find some land That we can expand. Five men were appointed. And these five men. Went through the land. On the way to a sparsely populated area. To see if they could find a place. For the rest of the tribe. To continue to move into and expand. On their journey to find this land. They happened by the house. Of you guessed it. Micah. And when they happened by the house of Micah. They had met this little preacher boy that Micah had hired they had met him along the way somewhere and when they saw him they said what are you doing here and they said he said well I've got a job I'm a priest for this guy named Micah and he says hey let me and he, you know, these kind of people want to impress people and so he said let, let, me, let me show you what I got I'm a, I'm a pretty important guy and, and so he takes him into Micah's house where his cousin mama has made these silver idols for him and and he takes him in and he says now micah's cousin mama made him these idols and and micah he he, he uses these to worship jehovah <laughs> and i'm the priest <laughs> that operates this place <laughs> that's what i do And they said oh is that right hmm, yeah okay thanks pal and they turn around and they walk out and they go around the campfire that night and they say you know there was a lot of silver in that little house A lot of silver. And the main guy that's keeping a diary says, on the way to find land, we came by the house of a guy named Micah where that little two-bit preacher was and we saw lots of silver. Note, check on silver later. And so they go on into the land and when they get there, they find a city that is unguarded that they can take. And so they go back home when they get home to Dan, they Dan the day say, "Did you?" I won't get into that. The day nights say, "Maybe I ought to." It would really throw a monkey wrench in this. You know the f- no. I'm not going to get into that. The day no. I better not. The, all the French and English will get mad. The day nights say, "Now you're really wondering what I'm talking about." Anyway, the day nights say, "How many times have I said that now?" What did you find? And they said, we found a city that we need to go take. And so the Danites get together 600 men. And these 600 men of war, mighty men of valor, take off towards the land that is unprotected. And on their way to the land that is unprotected, they have to camp out a few nights. And while they're camping out one night, they come, you guessed it, to the house of Micah. And the 600 men camp outside of the of the, of the property of Micah. And uh, they set up their tents and they get everything together. And Micah's not there. He's off on vacation or something. And, and But the little guy's there. And so the, he goes out and meets them. And he says, hey, guys, how you doing? And they said, we're doing fine. Squirt, how are you doing? And he says, I'm doing fine. And he feels a little bit affronted that they don't respect him. And they said... Um, uh, the, the five men look at the other leaders of the 600 and they say, uh, hey, this little guy's got some uh, real powerful, silver, heavy, silver gods in here in his house. And uh, the little guy says, you want to see them? Come on in. Okay. And so they all go in winking at one another. And when they get in there, if you read chapter 18 closely, you'll see that they went in and they took the gods out of the place. Uh, the teraphim and the and, 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 and the... I don't know what all they had in there. They took all these idols out of there and they carried them off. And the little priest is saying, Whoa, whoa, stop! Don't take the stuff! I don't know if I can find the exact verse that talks about this. But if I can, I'll read it to you here. He says, Don't take the stuff! And when he says, The priest said unto them, What do ye? And they said unto him, Verse 19, Hold thy peace, lay thy hand upon thy mouth, and go with us, and be to us a father and a priest. And then listen to their logic. Is it better for thee to be a priest unto the house of one man or that thou be a priest unto a tribe and a family in Israel? Their logic is, uh, we're going to give you a better job, preacher. Leave where you're at and come with us. Uh, Is it better to be a priest of the house of one man or to be a priest of a whole nation? Come on, forget this stuff here. We're not only going to take the gods, we're going to take you too. And he's such a man of character. This little priest, though, is such a man of character that he looks at them, and the Bible says, and his heart was glad. He said, okay, doc, you hired a man. He was faithful, wasn't he? He's the kind of preacher you want. One that just stands through thick and thin while you're on vacation. Little rat. And so the priest helps him steal the junk. The priest's heart was glad and he took the ephod, the teraphim, and the graven image and went in the midst of the people. And so Dan leaves there. They go, they go slaughter this city. By the way, all the people in Dan's part of the people of God, these thieves. Dan's one of the twelve tribes. And this little weasley, nerdy, dweeby, freakatroidish, hireland two-bit preacher, He's a Levite. He's of the people of God. This is getting greasy, isn't it? And if you look at verse 30, the children of Dan set up the graven image, and Jonathan, the son of Gershom, your King James says the son of Manasseh, but they did that because those Old Testament people was ashamed to put in there what that was really the son of. The original does not say the son of Manasseh, and I challenge you to look it up. It says the son of Moses. And now they've got, but they were so ashamed of this. They didn't put the son of Moses in there. The son of Moses, which may have been the grandson of Moses, because sometimes they called the son or the grandson of the great-grandson the son. But he is here, another one that is a priest of this tribe, not the little Weasley guy, but another one that's a priest of a tribe that's worshiping idols. The son of the great man Moses. No wonder they covered it up. I'd be embarrassed too. And they set them up, Micah's graven image, which he made last verse of chapter 18 all the time that the house of god was in shiloh that was quite a story so i can't preach the whole book but at least we got in 18 chapters that's weird stories weird well don't forget service tomorrow at two o'clock Do we have time for one more chapter? Let's do at least 19. Everybody, it's for 19. Good, seven of you. That's a majority. Now, chapter 19, children. Y'all did so good tonight. All you girls are so pretty. Not a one of you boys are pretty. But you are handsome. Didn't they sing good? Are you proud of them? Let's give him a hand. That's a great job. You really want to launch into chapter 19? All right. Chapter 19, the book of Judges. Let me tell you ahead of time that chapter 19 has nothing to do with chapter 18, or chapter 17, nor any of the 16 before that. Nothing. Totally nothing. It just starts out, and it talks about, there was a man of what? Ephraim? Is that what verse 2 says? Yeah. There was a man of Ephraim that took a concubine. See why I was hesitant to get into chapter 19? He took to him a concubine. Now I have to explain what a concubine is. A concubine is... A concubine. (laughs) Hallelujah. In California, we'd say they're shacking up. And so here's this man who is shacking up with this woman without the benefit of marriage. And she leaves him. She's out of here. And she goes home to her daddy. Now we got a guy in 17 that's living with his mama. Now we got a woman in 19 that goes home to her daddy. I do need to tell you that both the guy and the girl that are shacking up are part of the people of God. And she stays at her daddy's for whole months. When she said, I'm going... He went. And I don't know how bad it bothered the old boy. But the Bible says. After four. Whole. And it uses the word whole. After four. Whole. Months. Her husband arose and goes after her. You can tell he was really missing her. And he goes several days' journey and comes to her father's house and her father sees him afar off and and the Bible says that her father rejoiced when he saw Him coming. Does it say it, Elder? If you look in verse number 3, and when the the bottom of verse 3, and when the father of the damsel saw Him He rejoiced to meet him. Oh, brother, am I glad to see you. That tells you something about the girl. And the fact that it took him four months to go get her tells you something about the guy. I am just preaching the Bible. In fact, I'm almost quoting it. Line for line. And verse 4 says, Of the father-in-law, And he retained him. His father-in-law retained him. He said, Stay here. The guy was in to get her and out. And the father-in-law said, No, man, don't go yet. Stick around a little while. And so he says, Well, okay. So he stayed for three days got they got to know each other they got acquainted the father-in-law and the son-in-law hit it off if you can call him a son-in-law and a father-in-law they hit it off and the morning of the fourth day our good friend that shacks up with this woman is a man of discipline and so the morning of the fourth day he gets up and says i'm going home today starting out this morning and the father-in-law being the good host that he is says don't go yet why don't you stay and eat breakfast and the guy being the disciplined guy that he is says okay all right he stays and eats breakfast and they talk all day and when evening time comes he says hey i'm packing the donkeys i'm out of here and the father-in-law says why don't you just go ahead and eat supper with us and he says well i really need to go but okay I'll eat supper he was a man of great discipline and after each supper the father-in-law says why don't you just stay another night he says well it is kind of late out there okay I'll just stay another night and so he goes to bed he gets up in the morning and he says I'm out of here today And the father-in-law says, why don't you at least eat breakfast before you go? And he says, okay. And so he stays and eats breakfast. And he gets the donkeys ready to go and he says, I got to go. And the father-in-law says, well, why don't you stay all day? And he says, okay, I'll stay all day. And he gets ready to go and the father-in-law says, why don't you stay and eat? He says, okay. He stays in it. I'm a man of my word I'm leaving and so he packs the donkeys and he packs his concubine and he packs the servants and he says we're out of here sayonara after a while and he leaves and the Bible says he left when it was about evening time and he traveled but he couldn't travel far before darkness fell and when he gets down the road a little ways They come to a city named Jabez. This is early, early antiquity. That later became the city of Jerusalem, but at that time it was called Jabez. And and when they came to the city, one of the servants said, Master, here is a city where we can stay, because it was dangerous to stay where there were robbers out in the middle of nowhere. And he says, here's a city where we can pull in and find perhaps a place to stay. But our man is one of God's people, and he's a man of conviction and he says I won't stay in that heathen city that's not one of the cities of Israel and I've got convictions and I've got standards and I'm not staying with a bunch of heathen we're gonna keep traveling come on concubine move and so they travel on down the road until they come to a city called Gibeah and when they get to Gibeah the servant says can we stop and stay here he says, of course we can stop and stay here because this is one of the cities of the people of God. And so they pull into Gibeah, which is a city of the tribe of Benjamin. And when they pull into town, there's no particular place to stay. It was harvest time, which means the city was crowded with migrant workers. And and, and so he pulls into town. There's no place to stay. So they pull over to the side of the road on, the, on the, the, the sidewalk it would be in our day. And they set up their little tent there and they get out their cooking utensils and they fix them a bite to, to eat and uh, that would sound strange to us today maybe but back then it wouldn't even in back some of the older folks a few years back that wouldn't sound so strange and in today it would but not then and and so they fix them a little bite to eat and the bible says am i still in uh, what chapter am i in yeah i'm still in 19 okay because i, I want to keep my word and the bible says and an old man came in from working in the field and if you read it closely, you'll see that he probably was not a citizen of that city, but that he had come there and evidently rented a house and was picking fruit or helping with the harvest. Any of you ever used to be what we call fruit tramps in California? No? Uh, y'all, you was born with a silver spoon in your mouth? Okay, so you was chopping trees down probably. So he, he, the old man comes in from the end of the day there's there's dirt on his face where his sweat has run down and left its streaks his hair's matted on his forehead and his shoulders are a bit stooped and as he walks down the street to his little house he walks along and and he sees these people on the side of the road sitting there eating a bite and he looks around and he says what are you doing here and they said well we come into the town there's no place to stay we didn't want to stay out there where the wild animals are and and we just stopped here to eat and spend the night we're going to leave in the morning he says no don't stay here get your stuff and come on down to the house with me and the guy says no i we've got enough food for the animals and we've got food to eat and we'll be all right and the old man says no no get your stuff get your woman pick up your stuff come on servants get the donkeys you come on go with me and he convinces them and they go with him and they go to the old man's house it is a lot nicer they go inside the house. There's something to eat. They, they, they fix it all up. They set the table. They get to know the old man. There's good camaraderie between them. They are enjoying themselves. They are eating. Uh, time passes, and it gets on up into the night. And, and, and he turns on the lamp, and now it's maybe 11 o'clock, 11.30, midnight. And they're, 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 they're eating, and they're enjoying each other's company, when suddenly... A knock comes on the door. And the old man stops and says. Yes. And the men outside the door say. Oh man. We saw the. Man that came into your house. Send him out. That we may know him. There's been a lot of. Funny things happen up now but that's not too funny I want to tell you that the men outside who are ready to do any kind of perverted sexual act are also part of the people of God and the old man says and out of all of these stories that I've told you tonight it seems like here's a little ray of light that makes us feel better in a world of craziness. The old man says. No my brethren. Do not do this terrible act. This is wrong. Don't do this. And I say in my spirit. Thank God somebody has still got the ability to determine right and wrong. In that crazy world of judges. And the old man waits and they say oh man you better send them out or we're going to tear this door off and he looks at them and they're all lashing white and his face is drawn and he says what am I going to do and he looks around and he sees the girl and he looks back and he says to the door don't do this to my friend If you will leave him alone, I will send out the girl. You girls think how that girl must have felt. The terror that must have been in her heart. As the old man walks to where she's at and gets her by the arm with her trembling in fear and resistance and drags her to the door. And opens the door and shoves her out the door. The one bright light that looks like somebody's got good judgment. The old man now does the most dastardly act so far of everything that we've seen in shoving the girl out the door. There's several aspects of that. One is that women were not respected in those days like they ought to have been. They were counted almost like cattle in some respects, like slaves. Nobody in history ever did as much as Jesus Christ to elevate the status and respect of women. If anybody ought to be Christians, it ought to be women. If anybody ought to be followers of Jesus, it ought to be women. When he sat on the well that day in John 4 and talked to that woman, they were flabbergasted that he would give. And he gave to that woman some of the greatest theological truths you'll find in the Bible. And she wasn't even a woman with a good reputation. But by doing that, it elevated the status of women. And many other examples. And so here, you know, if, if can I just be a little bit blunt? I mean, this is a world we live in. And I, I don't know about up here, but in our church, I've got converted homosexuals that got saved and are living for God. Some of them have got married. Don't tell me it cannot be, uh, a person cannot be delivered from living that kind of lifestyle i happen to know better i know it's quiet Now i preach more than one funeral of people and dealt with more than one person of people that has died with aids and when you live in california that's part of what the scene is like and it's it's a it's a dreaded terrible terrible blight and curse upon the land but with all of that you know if if, if, if homosexuals came to my door or men came to my door and said send your friend out uh, I, I certainly wouldn't have sent my daughter out uh, now I don't I don't know how spiritual this is I, I don't know I don't even know what God thinks about this Pastor McKillop will have to straighten this up after I leave or while I'm here if he wants to but I think if they come to my door and I knew there was nothing I could do about it I'd just yell and say, all I want to tell you is the first one through ain't going to have no brains left when this chair hits you. I don't know how spiritual that is. I just have to repent when I got to heaven. Because I do think I'd still go to heaven. And the reason I told you first that I've got converted homosexuals in the church, some of them that probably never will be fit to marry men or women, but can live a life of victory and abstinence from a lifestyle that's dysfunctional besides being perverted, besides being condemned in the word of God. They can live and live for God and be victorious and whatever, whatever your deal is, if you're If you're addicted to nicotine, you can live without cigarettes. If you're addicted to alcohol, you can live without alcohol. If you're addicted to drugs, you can live without drugs. And if you're addicted to sex, perverted or otherwise, you can live uh, delivered from that. And you can live without that if necessary so that you can live. I know it's a little blunt tonight, but we're living in a world that's going as crazy as judges was. And we need to understand that in dealing with these things, God has an answer for everything. And God can heal your emotions and God can turn you around and God can make a real man out of you if you're a man that needs making into a man and a real woman out of you instead of a man if that's the direction you went in your life. God's able to straighten those kinds of things out. And furthermore, I'll tell you, most of those things come from the breakup of homes and dysfunctions and 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 all that. I don't even want to get into it. But nevertheless, the old man pushes the girl out the door. And the Bible tells us that these men as long as it's flesh they don't care they ravish this girl's body all night long and they completely destroy her and when the Sun is coming up they bring her stumbling back to the front door of the old man's house and they give her a shove and she falls down on the sidewalk in front of the door and she reaches out with her hands and grabs the threshold and passes out. Inside, the old man and, and her husband, such as he is, has got up. They eat breakfast. The man looks at the servants and says, we've got to go now. You got the donkeys ready? Yes, sir. And he turns and opens the door and looks down and sees his woman. And he says to her, up, let us be going. But she doesn't move. And so he reaches down and he picks her up. And her head falls back. And she's dead. He takes her body and he throws it across one of the donkeys. And he ties her down. And he turns and with her on the donkey like a sack of rice. He makes his way back to his home. When he gets to his home, the servants, he says, take all the stuff in. He goes over and unties his wife's stiff body and takes her off of the donkey and takes her in the house and lays her down on a table, spools her body out. And takes a knife and cuts her into 12 pieces and pins a note to each of the 12 pieces and takes 12 servants and says, each of you take this section of her body and go to the head of all the tribes of Israel and tell them, behold what your brethren in Benjamin have done. That's a gory chapter, but that's the end of 19. That was a rough one, wasn't it? it that, was that was a bad chapter. It started kind of funny, really. The people of God were doing things that was wrong, but it was kind of funny the way they were doing it at least you were laughing. And I was too. But it didn't end up very funny. But the one thing I want you to remember is that everybody I've talked about tonight is part of the people of God. Well, we went through three chapters. There's two more. Should we bite off one more, Elder? Should we do 20? All right, we'll do chapter 20. Can y'all take one more chapter? That one's pretty bad, wasn't it? You're kind of afraid to respond all of a sudden. That's a grisly scene, isn't it? Bad news. All right. Chapter 20. They send these body parts to all of the different parts of Israel. When they get it, they read the note. They hear the message. And are they ever mad? They have a council. And they say, look what our brethren in Benjamin have done. In fact, they're not only mad, they are horrified, just like you are, or ought to be. And they meet in council and they say, what are we going to do? and they made a decision the leaders made a decision we are not going to let this go we're going to gather one out of every ten men in all the tribes and we're going to raise a militia an army and we are not even going home from this meeting we're going to get together and raise an army all eleven tribes and we're going to tell Benjamin if you don't apologize and send us the men out of Gibeah that did this We're going to war against you. And they get together and they send the message to Benjamin that we're going to war if you do not give us the men that we can punish them for what they've done. And Benjamin, loyal to their own. You see these little glimmers of right character, but it always is in some perverted way that the glimmer comes out in the whole, every chapter we've been in since 16. And and, and they're loyal to one another. We ought to have loyalty, but they're loyal to these men that did this terrible act. And they said, we will not give you the men. And Israel said, if you don't cough up the men, we're coming to war against you. And they said, come on. Because Benjamin had 700 men that were left-handed Benjamites that could throw a stone within a hair's breadth every time. And they knew they were powerful warriors. But all of the other tribes come against them. The battle is engaged. And in the very first battle, the first day, Benjamin only has about 25,000 men. And Israel has like 100,000 men. But the first day, Benjamin doesn't lose hardly anyone. And Israel loses 18,000 men. They back up and Israel says, are we doing the right thing? And they get the message that they're doing the right thing. They attack the next day again. And when they attack again they are repulsed. And they lose 24,000 more men. Now their confidence is shaken. But they say we've got to win. Because these people are doing wrong. Brothers are fighting brothers. Tribesmen are fighting tribesmen. All of them the people of God. Did you know when you read Josephus? Never mind that'll get you confused unless you knew that part of history and so they're fighting one another Brother against brother and tribe against tribe fighting and killing and finally Israel comes up with a plan and they said a small group of us will attack the city where they're all at and Then when they come after us, we will turn and run and they did and they ran a long ways from the city and Benjamin had done this every day and whipped them every day and they run a long ways from the city and when Israel gets them way out from the city they turn to the Benjamites and say look and the Benjamites turn and look and the other part of the Israeli army had come in behind them and set the city on fire and was killing everything that there was they killed every man that was left in the city they killed every woman that was left in the city they killed every boy that was left in the city They killed every girl that was left in the city. They wiped out every soldier that there was. Before that day was over, the whole 25,000 of Benjamin was totally wiped out. Uh, And now besides the thousands in Israel that had already been killed, there's 25,000 more. There was only about 25,600 Benjamite soldiers. uh, And the last 600 of them ran for their life. And Israel chased them. And those 600 ran to a rock, a cave in a rock, called remen and when they got to the cave they hid in the cave called Rimon, and they stayed there but the tribe was totally wiped out and israel had a great victory killing their brothers oh that's the end of chapter 20. we almost made it through the whole book let's quit well shall we finish the last chapter i mean we've went this far and the snow's two feet deep or whatever alright let's go to the last chapter so Israel has, has won this great battle and Benjamin has been wiped out now for any of you that wonders if I'm embellishing this story I want you to be sure and go home and read your Bible tonight you check it out you'll find it is in some ways more bizarre than what I'm telling it it's a bizarre story You know what my title is tonight? I didn't give you a title. When God's people go crazy. That's my title. And so chapter 20. Israel now has sated their thirst for revenge. And you know, anytime somebody gets revenge, when they get through, especially when they've overkilled, it's a terrible feeling of remorse. And that's what they're feeling the after effect of what they've done in fact if you read it closely they begin to weep and they said we have wiped out a whole tribe in israel and killed every woman how can the tribe even survive when we've killed every woman married and unmarried And they meet in council and they say, how are we going to make this go? And somebody says, well, there's still 600 men alive. Yeah, but there's no women. Well, we can give them some of the women out of our tribes. No, because of what they did, we promised that each tribe would not give them one woman to make their tribe go ahead because of the way they treated that woman. You see, sometimes they make sense. But then the things they do are totally illogical. What's that scripture you quoted me yesterday? It is not within man. It is not within man. Say that. It's not within man to direct his own ways. It is not within man to direct his own ways. Let me talk to some of you that are here tonight as observers, but you don't need the church because you have a good brain and you can make your own decisions. I want to tell you, your brain's not as good as you think it is. You say, well, I've got good judgment, I'll judge. No, 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 you don't have good judgment. And I'll take it a step further. I don't either. None of us have good judgment outside of the Word of God. And it is not, and it is not, and in man to, to direct his own way. It is not within man to direct his own ways. It is not within man. Well, I'll get even with him. Yeah, but, but, but when you get through, you will have overkill. Well, I'll do this. Yeah, but it'll be wrong. Because it's not within man to direct his own ways. And I don't want to get off here, but that's why we need one another. All of you people that think you can stay home and, and, and have church in the chapel of your heart and that you don't have to come and meet with the rest of us, you, you need a revelation. You're, you're missing something. You're living in ignorance. You have to have the balance of the body. We all do. And that's why your pastor and these brethren, all the way from Newfoundland, they could live up there. They could say, well, I got the Holy Ghost. I know the Bible. I'm called to preach. I don't need fellowship. And your pastor could say the same thing. Look, I'm up in New Brunswick. I don't have to worry about anything. I got a good church. I'm doing fine. I've been around a while. I know know the ropes. You know why these brethren are here? They've got a revelation. You know why your pastor comes down to the States and blesses all of us? He's got a revelation. And the revelation is, and don't ever forget it, church. You that know the ways of God, don't ever let some young people come in here or some new people come in here that don't understand the importance uh, of brethren having accountability to one another. Say, well, we don't need to do that. Brother, you better know that you need to do that because when we're together, we help to balance each other in our own ignorance and lack. Uh, one makes up what the other lacks. Isn't that what First Corinthians chapter 12 says? What one part lacks, the other part makes up. And so we need one another. Somebody says, well, if I'm made in the image of God, preacher, which is what you preach, then I I can judge like God. Oh, there's part of that you don't know. The part that you don't know is that you're not in the essential state in which you were created in the image of God. You're in an existential state. A state of existence that is different in definition from what you were when you were made in the image of God. When sin came, it twisted something in you. When sin came, it broke something in you. When sin came, it gnarled something in all of us. uh, And it put something in us that's bad and wrong and, and spiteful and has a proclivity and an inclination for failure and damnation and cursedness. And it's in every one of us. People of God or no people of God, it's still in us. That's why we need the Holy Ghost every day. Give us this day our daily bread. Oh, let's praise the Lord together. so they said, there's 600 men hidden in a cave up here. Yeah, but what are we going to do? They can't marry heathens. And we all said we wouldn't give them our daughter. And so the elders, it uses that word, the elders in Israel got together. And they said, what are we going to do about this? How are we going to resolve this? There's got to be an answer to this. Ah! One of them says to the other across the council table, is there any city that when we did the conscription to get soldiers to fight Benjamin, is there anybody that didn't show up? Is there any cities that didn't send men to do the fight like they were supposed to? And so they go through the rolls of the draft. And they said, yeah, yeah. Here's a city... Jabesh Gilead they didn't send anybody they didn't no well then we need to punish them see here they are they're just weeping because they did wrong now here they are we need to punish them let's go get them and they put their armor back on and they went to Jabesh Gilead and they killed everybody in the city everybody in the city wiped them out Except for the girls that were marriageable age that had never been married There were 400 of them in that city and they kidnapped those 400 girls after they killed their parents in the name of God, of course And killed their brothers and sisters and killed all of them except they were of marriageable age and had never been married and They took those 400 girls and kidnapped them out of that city and they brought them back and put them in a holding pen and then they went to the rock women, And they yelled into the deep cave. And they said, men, we are sorry for what we did. We've got 400 women here for you to marry and to continue your tribe because the rest of the tribe is wiped out. Now just stop and think. I don't have time to elaborate on all this tonight. But stop and think the psychological and spiritual scars and damage that's done with all this killing and slaughtering and immorality and perversion. And kids and parents and grandparents and people wiped out and left dead everywhere. What kind of spiritual carnage, mental carnage, besides physical carnage? And those 600 men, they're already in shell shock, finally become convinced that these men mean it. And they do. And so they come out of the cave. And they tell them, we got 400 girls over here. We want you to marry them and raise this tribe back up. Maybe one of them asks, where do the girls come from? Never mind, bub. Just get one of them and they go over there and they get these girls and they marry them it was it was a quick courting the courtship was brief It was a strange courtship I believe I'll have that one move Jack get out of the way I want that black headed one what do you want Jim I'll take this blonde headed one which one you I want the one with the big nose back there and the small ears What do you want? Oh, i like one little pudgy. Come over here, pudge. And so they take them out of there. These girls whose parents just got killed, brothers just got killed, sisters just got killed, taken from their home. Of course, they're all part of the people of God. The killed, the killers, the kidnappers, and the kidnappees, they're all part of the people of God. It's wonderful to be part of the people of God, isn't it? And they take them and marry them. Well, that's almost the end of the story, except that if you did a small amount of math, you know that 400 girls and 600 men doesn't quite match up for everybody to have a wife. So there's still 200 men. I'm almost through, folks. Wake up, sir. If you'll just wait five minutes, I'll try to quit. And so there's 200 men left that don't have a wife. So they go back into council. And they think, (laughs) and they think, where are we going to get women for these other 200 men? Because we can't give them any, because when we make a vow, we keep it. We've got convictions about keeping our word. We're not giving them any of our women. We said we wouldn't. We'll go kill the whole city to get women. We won't Somebody comes up with an idea and says, I got it everybody else okay what is it he says every year at shiloh there's a big party and the girls come from all the areas with their beautiful party regalia on and they come down these roads through the vineyards and sometimes they're dancing their way to the party you 200 men hide in the vineyards and when they come dancing by see which one you like and grab her and that will be your wife now can't you see this how do you like that for choosing and being chosen I can just see these two guys in the front row laying in the grapevines. Do you like that one? What do you think about that one? Nah, 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 nah. Nah. Look at her legs. They're too skinny. What do you think about that one? Too hippie. What about this one? I don't know. She's pretty nice. And finally they decide. And the guy says, Maybe I don't know if I'll do this or not. Go for it, Joe, go for it. Hey, Joe's a chicken over here. Go for it, Joe. And Joe jumps out of the vines as she walks by. Ah, gotcha And she's ah, 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 ah. Come on, woman. Some of the men said, "Well, what's the parents going to think of a kidnap their daughter?" And the elders said, "Don't worry about it. We'll tell the parents it's okay." And that's the end of the book, folks. You heard it all. Good night. All of business.